Welcome to the Monkey Business Show, from cash flow to crypto, all the things you need to know to invest in the market. I'm Aaron Hodges, joined by Eric Salzman and Richie Bennett, and uh, Richie sporting a Gator visor today. Does that mean it's signing day? It was last week, and uh, the lovely Sydney Bennett will be heading to the University of Florida. It's very exciting, very exciting times, especially based since this is a, a money financial show. Um, her tuition at the University of Florida is zero. She won one of these bright future scholarships for in-state students. Whoa. I just have to pay for her to eat and sleep. That's a bit different than some of the other ones that were 75 grand. But she she chose it on her own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I stayed out of it. No influence from you, I'm sure. So will this subsidize your season tickets for the uh, for game yeah. football and basketball? But yes, and I told her, too, that we might be able to get into the real estate business maybe her junior year for all this money she's saving. Wow. So maybe get her a condo and put it in her name, and she can live there and pick tenants, you know, pals of hers, and collect the rent and have a nice little business when she graduates. Or trailer parks. Or trailer parks. (laughs) (laughs) It's probably a better... We can have those too, yeah. (laughs) That's as much of an education as she'll get at college, what you're giving her right there, man. I think it's it's just as valuable what you're teaching her with the real estate there. Good on you, pal. Congratulations to to her. And I hope that works out. Eric, I know you're getting ready to move any day now. Yeah, I'm in a a different location this morning. I I got movers are actually moving stuff out of my office this morning, so I... I'm uh, ensconced in the um, East Wing. You're in the, I'm East, in the wing. East Wing. Yes, I'm in the East Wing of the residence. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's more sunny there. You look like you're you're actually in a Florida room right now. <laughs> I, I kind of am. I'm in my. I'm actually in my bedroom here. But, uh, oh, but yeah, we're we're ready to hitch the wagons and go next uh, next Thursday. I'm I'm out of here. Provided uh, provided any last minute disasters, I'm I'm out. You're like doing the reverse commute almost, yeah. right? Like, I'm the only guy that's here. going back to the taxes and the yeah. 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 Most people are leaving Maryland and going to Texas. You know, one of my main reasons of moving here was that the kids can go. They got these great, get so many great universities here for the state. And if you're in state, it's really cheap. So my boys have both done uh, done well by me. They're both going to graduate next year. It probably costs what it cost our parents, like 40 years. Right. With the right. <laughs> and, they, and we thought that was expensive. Yeah. Right. If you want to go to these, one of these places out of state, it's like it's about 50 grand to go. Anyway, I won't be paying for it with crypto, I'll tell you that. Good luck with the move. I have uh, have no children graduating or going to college, and I'm not moving. I'm staying right here in New Jersey, but uh, I do have good news to report. The comedy business is on its way to booming again. It's really picking up. So nice. Probably quicker than I thought, so going to be busy here at You Lucky Dog Productions. Things are going pretty well. How many comedians do you have in the stable? Oh, it's damn near 50. Jesus. Yeah, it's a lot. 50. That's incredible. So are you are you managing them like when they like are you you okay, you're not managing their appearances and things like that. No, no, no. It, our, it doesn't really go beyond working together on the album. Okay. That we produce together, right? So mm-hmm. that's pretty much the scope of it. And um, you know, projects here and there, some like freelance stuff of either just like recording or not necessarily putting out projects on the label, but I'll, you know, engineer it or produce it and just kind of do like a freelance 
relationship like that. Right. So, yeah. Um, Did, um, so is, the, I, I may have missed it because when we were kids, Richie and I were kids, you, you had like, you had George Carlin made albums, you know, that, that's how you got your comedy because most of us couldn't stay up late to watch, you know, the Johnny Carson show at 1130 at right? night. Yeah. So really the only way that before cable and it, the only way we would see hear comedians and know what their shtick would be when they'd made albums. So mm-hmm. Bill Cosby made a lot of albums and George Carlin, obviously AMFM, um, you remember Cheech and Chong used to make albums like that. That's how you heard comedians back then. Unless you, like I said, you could stay up and watch the late night shows or maybe they'd come on Carol Burnett or something like that. Yeah. Is that now, did that go away and is that coming back now? Or was it, has it always, have there always been comedy albums, you know, not, obviously not vinyl, but has that ever stopped or has it always been going on? It's always been going on. It's certainly changed. The best kept secret that isn't much of a secret in the comedy album business is that you can kind of make money with Sirius XM if you get their album played on Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. But the sales and the streams from other platforms will not sustain you. Mm-hmm. Right, because people aren't really buying albums and sh- streaming comedy the way that you stream music, right? Like, you'll stream certain music albums 10, 15 times, you know, maybe in a year if you really like it or whatever, whatever that is, right? But Mm -hmm. the comedy people in general aren't streaming an album multiple times. They'll listen to it two, three times maybe, you know? So it's, um, you know, as long as you can, you can get your stuff played on Sirius XM, you can, you can do okay. You can pay some bills. So what's the real, the real money's in still in the touring? Try to like sell tickets to concerts. Only if only if you're like a next level. If you're like a star, you can make money on touring. But most comedians are are not gonna make a great living going on tour, and it's it's a grind. It's a grind Mm -hmm. for sure. Uh, They got to play a lot of bad shows to get to the good ones. But it's like uh, it's very reflective of the economy. How like those at the top can really make money, but there's not much of a middle class, so it goes right, right from the top to the gutter. Mm. So that's that's kind of uh, reflective of the overall economy in the U.S. in a way. But speaking of the gutter, we had to do, uh, I think you called it a mea culpa on Hertz, because that's a stock that was on everybody's radar, and I guess still is on some radars, because they were bankrupt at, at one point. So talk about what's going on with it right now. Yeah, so um, Hertz went bankrupt last year. Um, one of the, you know, big time, big time investors is a man by the name of Carl Icahn. And, um, he had a slug of Hertz stock and it went bust. And he was like, all right, can't win them all. And he dumped like all his shares at like 72 cents. And then a lot of these guys on the wall street bets and the Reddit and stuff are buying it. Right. And we're laughing. On the, on the show, we were laughing. We we're like, dude, you're not going to get any money. Like, you're done. What are you doing? It doesn't mean it's cheap because it's 50 cents. It, 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 it's going to go to zero, which is usually what happens in these cases, right? So even if the company comes out of bankruptcy, they restructure, but they usually give, like, uh, they give the, the new guys that buy into the business, like, a stake uh, for their investment. The stock goes to zero, nil. If you hold the bonds of the bankrupted company, you might get something, you know, 30 cents, 40 cents on the dollar, something like that. But generally speaking, the equity guys, the stockholders, they get nothing. 
So these guys with the diamond balls or the diamond whatever they have, right? They they don't sell, right? They never sell, and they and they're buying, and we're laughing. We're like, dude, this isn't going to work for you. Like, what are you what are you doing? And boy, oh boy, was I wrong on that? We were ridiculing them. So we got yes. to, I, I, I was ridiculing them. And one of the reasons we were, we we're making fun of them was because if you remember when Hertz went from like 55 cents, I think to like five bucks with all the buying Hertz came out. I mean, this was a company that had just declared bankruptcy and they said, Hey, we want to issue five billion, five, five billion in new stock because we get <laughs> these guys will buy it. And of course, you remember that the, um, the SEC came out and said, you got to put on it. I mean, you literally had to put on, if you were going to do a, another, a secondary offering, they basically had to put on a gigantic stamp in front of this that said, you will most probably lose your money. Like this, this company is in, is in bankruptcy. There's a very high probability that you're going to lose, that you're going to lose money. All your, all your money, not a couple right. of, uh, all of it. So, and they, they ended up passing because I think the SEC was leaning on them to like not do that. You know, they were going to do it. And I think their lawyers, Hertz's lawyers, we're probably like, let's not do this shit. Because if we do this and it doesn't go well, we're going to get our asses sued forever and ever and ever. Right. So they 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 didn't even do it. But now the new bankruptcy, re, you know, removal, the the exit from bankruptcy has these guys probably getting paid like eight bucks a share when it's all said and done. It's what it's probably like five. I saw yesterday it was like five sixty or something like that. Yeah. $5.60. So all those guys that bought at 50 cents and we're ridiculing, they have the last laugh. So there's probably <laughs> a lot of people out there going, yeah, you dumbass, Richie. I can't. Yeah, you know everything, bro. Yeah, yeah. Go suck on it. You know, like, like we're sitting here with Dell. Now, like when Bobby Brady sang in the, in, in the Brady Bunch, you take the high road and I'll take the low road and I'll be in Scotland before ye, right? You can keep playing those games, everybody out there, but I promise you, I promise you, and keep doing it, you will lose more than you will win in that game. I mean, so much of this has rippled through the economy, especially the automotive sector, because, I, I mean, now, and I'm sure everybody out there knows it, if you, do you try to get a used car, you can't get it. Used car prices, I think, man, I think I looked at Mannheim. Mannheim's one of the big indices that, that track the valuations. These, the value was up about 50 to 60% year over year. And I think the last one they put out was April. Um, and, and, and it's twofold. One is that they're not producing the new car, enough of the new cars because of the chip shortage that we've talked about. But also, um, and so that's basically having people scoop up any used car they can get their hands on. But also, if you remember back then, Hertz was selling. They basically had, a, they were selling their fleet of cars and they've got thousands and thousands of cars. And they were selling them, and basically, you know, you're, you're, they're trying to raise money, so they're 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 a forced seller. And the thought was, boy, these guys, and you know, it's Hertz today, maybe it's Enterprise tomorrow. I mean, the, the, all these guys have traveled. Just if tra- if the if the economy stayed closed like we thought it was, all these guys are going to be in trouble. They're going to be dumping tons of cars in the market. And instead, the complete opposite has happened. The economy opened up. People are trying to rent cars. Apparently, I've heard it's a nightmare trying to rent a, rent a car. Um, because you know this, this is not enough of them, and the and these guys need to make money, so they're you know they they're taking advantage of that. But yeah, I mean it's just a a little a little microcosm of what's happened to this economy, how things are going, and how how wrong a lot of us were. Me, I'm going to take I'm going to raise my hand that 
how fast things can come back and, and all these shortages just kind of show it. Well, I mean, the, the vaccine rollout has been pretty positive. I think that's a big deal. COVID cases are definitely down, so people are more willing to get out there. But mm-hmm. uh, I thought the when we were talking about it, I think a couple weeks ago, Eric, the used car prices being higher, I thought that would be very, very bad for Hertz, right? Because you're saying they have to buy their they gotta the buy them back, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, but but I think they were stuck. Once they went into bankruptcy, they stopped selling, right? They're dead. Right? They're, they lost. I think the part of the reason why this deal is so good for uh, stockholders, why they might get out at eight bucks, was these guys who bought into the program, the private equity guys who bought Hertz out to reemerge from bankruptcy. I think they know they're still sitting on a ton of cars, mm. right? So even if they can't get the the rental market quite back, you know, if, even if business travel doesn't come like it used to, but you still have some leisure activity and people still rent cars when they go on vacation. That's for sure. But they can now dump these cars into this used car market and make a lot more than they thought. There's still like long lines of football fields with Hertz rent cars sitting in. So you know, they haven't moved in a year. I guess to broaden the conversation just a little bit, um, I've been seeing a lot of statistics lately about the amount of wealth that millennials hold today as compared to, say, baby boomers at the at the time of when they were about 30, 40 years old. I've seen suggested that people my generation and a little bit younger, you know, 40 and under, are sort of creating their own volatility in the market because we're fed up with what we've been handed. And so mm. they're taking a lot of big risks and chances to get their piece of the pie. What are your thoughts on in that? Those, in those, I, I haven't kept up on that, but is it saying that the millennials have less money than the baby boomers did when, when they were the baby uh, millennials age? Yeah, the percentage that I saw is that 4% of the, the nation's wealth is held by uh, millennials. Really? That's it? As compared to, I, th- I believe it was not, I wish I had it in front of me, but I think it was like 9% the generation before us uh, and, and perhaps even more. I know, I'm sorry, I don't have the exact numbers. but Right, uh, but that's, yeah. that's amazing because there's a lot of millennials, right? It, it, it's a big yeah. group. Yeah, yeah. Not as much as you boomers, though. Yeah. Well, I, I, are we considered boomers? No, I don't think we are. Right? No, We're I that don't know. Generation X or something, right? Yeah, actually, I am the last year of the of the boomer. I'm sixty. I'm nineteen sixty four. So you are. Um, a boomer. I, yeah, I mean, I, I I I identify more with the gen. I think it's Generation X. Gen X. Maybe that's Gen X. And then I think that's what I am Gen X. Yeah, but I'm sixty seven. So yeah, you're you're yeah you're you're that generation. I'm the oldest guy in that group. Yeah, but. And then the generation in the middle, because you got the millennials, and then you got the generation that's basically now come out. They came right out of college in 2008. Yeah. Right. So that's probably you, Aaron, right? Is that your kind of? Oh, no. That's what you're down now? No. He's older than that. I'm 39. There you go. My God. It's a terrible number. Just turned 39. Terrible number. (laughs) Um so if you think about the, the the problems that have faced this these those two generations with regards to you know two horrific economies two two terrible recessions difficulty in buying houses and, and you know get, basically getting themselves into real estate um, which obviously is a huge driver for for wealth um, that's certainly I, I look back and that was definitely a main driver that and shanking people on Wall Street uh, <laughs> but 
Yeah. And, uh, and I think that let's face it. If you, if you come out and, and a lot of this, a lot of that generation's got is coming out with a lot of big debt from the colleges that they were told that yeah. they needed to go to. Um, and now they come out with all that debt. And this is a problem that I know people don't like to talk about forgiving. And I don't either forgiving student debt. It's obviously it's a, I, you know, I hate to say that we're going to finally put moral hazard in play. You know, we, we, we've laughed at moral hazard for a long time with basically, you know, bailing out the street two times now in the last two decades. But what an economist will tell you is that when you have a generation like that, that has so much debt and so little disposable income because they have to service that debt, that's a, that, that is a long-term problem for our economy. So I guess that's a roundabout way answering your question question, Aaron, is that we're taking these big, you know, Hail Marys in, in 2020 in the stock market and on crypto because they need, to, they need the money. They, they, they need home runs. They hitting yeah. singles and doubles for yeah, them right. is not going to, is not going to make it. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's well put. People are like, mm-hmm. well, you know, what am I going to do with this $500? It's going to be gone right. before I know it. There's a chance I could turn this five into 25 real quick. And you know, that'll, that'll help. So let me just throw $500 in the, in the pot, see what happens. Yeah. There's a lot of that happening, I think. And we'll get into crypto here in a second, but uh, there was one other thing that we had talked about on previous episodes, the AT&T, we were talking about dividend stocks. That was one of the ones that we had brought up. Uh, Richie at the time, and I think we all were in a, in a sense, kind of looking at that as a possibility of getting into. And uh, Richie, you said you were going to do some more due diligence and see if you were going to get into it. So are we getting in? Are we staying out? What are we doing? I, I mean, I, I'm looking at it seriously now. I think I think it could be interesting. So what they did was they, they basically spun off and admitted to making a big boo-boo AT&T by getting into the media business. So they bought Time Warner. So HBO, the movie theater, uh, movie production studios, all that stuff, paid a shit ton of money and then basically said, we're, we're not in that business anymore or we're in it a lot less by spinning off that business to Discovery, the Discovery Networks, and focusing now, AT&T is going to focus on their telecom business, their mobile phones and, and the like. They'll still keep a percentage of that business, right? So they didn't completely sell it. But it's going to trade under a new ticker, which is coming out any day now, I think, where it'll just be the media stuff. So like Discovery with HBO Max and HBO and all that stuff. But with that, they're probably going to cut their dividend by at least half. So I have my buddy Dave at the local, uh, we call it the library or the office, <laughs> the local office. Okay. It's a nice library. They serve right. good drinks. Okay. Um, <laughs> Dave, who's a, a retired guy, he's got some money. He came like running from the parking lot the day it happened, right? And he's looking at me and he's like almost running because he knows I, I probably know what the hell's going on. But he would get some serious checks every quarter in that dividend, right? So he's living on a fixed income, right? He's got a pension, I think, but like he's counting on that money. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it goes poof, right? Or it goes poof in half. But he's going to get a piece of that. He, they gave him some, like 10% of whatever shares you own, you're going to get in this new company. So it's not like a complete washout, but you still have to have this company do pretty well for you to get, get your money back. So it's always a danger, right? Like, like dividends are a gift. You know, they're not locked in. The company can stop paying them at any time. 
I mean, I think there's only 25. There's that dividend aristocrats ETF. Mm-hmm. Right? It's called the dividend aristocrats. And it's any company that's re- raised its dividend every year for the last 25 years. And I think there's like 20 guys in that pile. That's it. Mm-hmm. So it's very few. So when people rely on that dividend, I'm with the safe company and it's a dividend and ExxonMobil is another good example. They keep borrowing money to pay this dividend because they know, they know all these people are holding the stock yep. as a dividend. Now what's happened, just as the due diligence we do, since this move that AT&T did the other day, the stock's down 10%. So people do, do no bueno on that in the market, right? Like people are like, this sucks. But I think that's always a, an opportunity. You know what I mean? Like they're not going anywhere. So I'm going to do a little more work. I wouldn't recommend it yet, but I think it's it's probably not a horrible idea, right? Because it's still going to be a nice dividend. It was touching like 7% there mm-hmm. for a bit. So it's still going to be 3.5%-ish, maybe 4 I bought AT&T back, gosh, I think it was uh, beginning beginning of the year. I, I'm not Dave. I mean, I don't, I don't rely on the dividend to, to uh, <laughs> pay, the, pay the rent. You know, and I, yeah, I, I feel like I bought something that was a dividend play and now it's a growth stock. <laughs> right. Um, I, I'm sticking with it. So Richie, who's, uh, who's running the company now? We have had business dealings with this guy. Uh, we, so we, uh, our friends, uh, in higher places sent him an email yesterday, short and sweet saying, Hey, it looks like you have a big content company. You might need some more content back again. Yeah, we, uh, that's where we tanked was on animal planet for a long run. And, uh, that's eventually who would sign off and we would negotiate a contract every year for the guys. That's who would eventually sign off on it was David Zaslow. He's going to be the head. Then he's taking a bet too, right? So he's like, everybody's cutting the cord apparently, right? Everybody's cutting the cord. And he's like, bring it on, bring it on. I have content. I will make more content. Now I have a lot of content. I have HBO Max. I have HBO. I have blah, 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 right? So he's taking kind of the opposite view of everybody running away. Right. And, uh, you know, they pump that Discovery Plus every 10 seconds on the TV. There's a commercial for it. You know, it's, it's Discovery's streaming service, which starts at, starts at $5 a month, right? You can get all kinds of stuff. But now, you can, now you're going to be able to get all kinds of more stuff. Because he's he's got a new bunch of channels or streaming platforms. It's so interesting how you have such a fixed perception of what a company is. AT&T is a phone company, right? But no, you find out that they're in all the stuff. T is for telephone. That's their ticker. Uh, Okay. That makes sense. The content game is just, I mean, it's off the charts now, right? Because remember, before Bill Wang made Viacom front and center to everybody, in everybody's attention span, when he went in and tried to you know, own 15% of the company and got blown out, um, and Viacom dropped what, about 40% in one day. Yeah. Um, the reason for people buying Viacom was because they were coming out with a new, you know, they were coming out with their own streaming service that was going to be super rich in content. And, you know, you look at them and then you look at AT&T and you look at Comcast, you just look at one one after the next. Netflix sounds like yucca pucks like us that are that are that are creating content through their podcasts and things like that should be they should be chasing us, right? Aaron, they should be they should be sending it sending the jet for you with your fifty with your fifty comedians and couldn't agree more. <laughs> it's possible. 
You want to leave your phone number? No, don't do that. <laughs> no, no, I'm not going to do that. Somebody already yanked our email. I would give, we get so much spam email now. Just somebody is using it to sign up for a whole bunch of stuff. You should see this. You should see the spam folder. I'm not putting my phone number out there. It's out no there. No stuff. This is a family show. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's it's uh it's weird stuff. It's uh, I don't even know. I I don't feel comfortable even uh discussing it here but uh maybe off the air but um <laughs> so stop using our email weirdos you spammers you spammers all right but if you do want to send an email related to the show we'll get to it on the show monkeybizshow at gmail.com send us uh, questions queries and uh comments so crypto mm. Let's slide into the crypto conversation because it's all over the map now bitcoin i guess leading the charge in a dip and then a rally what's happening here yeah. And was it Monday that we crashed? It was Monday, right? I believe so. Yeah. I mean, it, Bitcoin managed to plunge over 30% and then rally back 30% in, in, in the span of a day. I know a lot of in, some of the most famous institutional investors, so Tudor Jones, uh, Stan Druckmiller, they're involved in crypto and they've recognized that crypto is the, is the future. But the headlines of why crypto got smashed and, and a lot of people look at the, you know, Elon Musk is just, again, it's, it's a cult and Elon came out and all of a sudden he was against Bitcoin. He was saying that he's not going to, uh, you remember he said that he will not uh, transact in Bitcoin. Everyone's looking at his billion and a half Bitcoin position. People were thinking that he was, he was in the market selling already or he was, was going to sell. So obviously you had this big supply that was going to hit the market. And all the, all the cryptos, it was, it was kind of like, and again, you remember Richie, you were talking about with, with Zach, with the, with the weed, with the cannabis stocks that everything kind of gets treated the same. Mm-hmm. And that, that morning, I mean, Bitcoin was maybe down 25, 30%. Ethereum was down over 40%. This is real money now. This isn't, you know, these are, these are tens of billions of dollars of, you know, of more, like hundreds of billions of dollars of value just getting erased. So a lot of it was Elon, but the real thing, Real thing is that China came out and, they, and they've been pretty harsh on crypto, but I think people were hoping, you know, and hope is not always the best thing to do when you're, when you're investing, but they were hoping that China would kind of come out and say, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to play ball. Instead, they really reiterated that a digital currency like Bitcoin or all these cryptocurrencies are not allowed. If you are a resident of China, a country with between a billion four and a billion five people, it is now, it is illegal for you to take your Chinese yuan and buy Bitcoin with it or buy Ethereum with it or buy any crypto with it. And the reason is, is because remember, one of the reasons people started with crypto wanted is it's decentralized. The government can't get at you. You can do things discreetly. You don't leave a trail. Well, in countries like China, when shit hits the fan, they put on things called capital controls. And essentially what that is, is to stop the wealth in China from getting the hell out of China and basically buying dollars, buying euros, move that stuff overseas. So when, if I need to go, I can go and my money is now outside, outside of the country or a good chunk of it. And this happened in 2008 happened, I think in 2014, uh, it's a big lever for the Chinese government. And when they tell you, you can't do something and it has to do with, Serious, like it, 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 it's a serious strategic thing that that you're doing uh, by by moving large amounts of capital out of the country. 
You're not getting a misdemeanor. You're not getting a, you know, a 30 day sentence like Felisa Hunting, whatever the hell her name was. You know, all these different big, big wigs in Hollywood got for, you know, paying money to get your kid into USC. You're either going to jail, hard labor for 20 years, or they may shoot your ass. And so that's a big deal. So when you all of a sudden take a billion and a half people, right? Think about China. They got a billion and a half. We have about 350 million. So let's say we have a, 50 million to 60 million people in this country that actually have money and power and can and, and, and really transact. They probably have as many people as we have in this country. They probably have between three to four to 500 million people that actually have the financial wherewithal to do stuff like this. If you take those guys out of the equation, that's huge. That's tremendous. That's a huge portion of the global population that will not be able to transact in crypto. Now, how much do you know about the Chinese relationship with Bitcoin and Bitcoin holders over time? Is this something that all of a sudden they just decided no more Bitcoin and anybody that has it is a criminal? Or have they always kind of dissuaded people from using Bitcoin or any other cryptocurrency? Well, you got to remember the people that are making the rules there probably use crypto and they probably use that to get their money out of the country and, and buy it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> buy, right, right. Buy, buy the entire West Coast of the United States and, right. you know, the, the $200 million, you know, penthouse, the penthouses in, in, in New York City. But I think that they, the more that crypto is rising and the more it becomes, it's going to be a, it, it's here to stay. It's not a fad. They realize that this is a big blind spot for them. And this is a way for anybody to get their money out of the country without it being without without it being traced, um, which means they can't go get it back. So I think that this is something that's been building. And the more popular Bitcoin and crypto gets, I think the more they see it as a threat. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that this has been something that's been slowly, es- slowly escalating. And now it's kind of coming to a head. Do you think it's alarmist that I think that uh, the next great world conflict may be related to governments cracking down on Bitcoin? No. No, yeah, I, I don't think so. You know, if this thing goes back to like zero or like 10,000, there was an article today in the journal, Wall Street Journal, the headline. I didn't read it. I just glazed at it and laughed. Like the headline was like Bitcoin is negative. It's worth like less than zero. And this was like not like an opinion. I mean, it was an opinion thing, but like prominently displayed, you know, in the Wall Street Journal, which I think a lot of people read. And, you know, so if there's talk of that, I mean, there's a lot of money tied up in this thing, right? It got up to like whatever market cap at 64,000 a couple weeks ago. And you start like taking people out like, um, you know, who, who have invested time, money, whatever. It's a, it could be a problem. It could be a problem. And I think I don't, they don't disclose like the stats on each country's residents that trade in certain stocks, but everything I've read, like Asia is a big mover in Bitcoin and Ethereum and all the other cryptos. And, and I was, you know, I hear Asia, but that probably points to a lot of China. And there's a lot of, you know, there, there's a lot of emerging market economies. There's a lot of, you know, and a lot of them are, you know, quasi authoritarian, like, you know, Singapore, um, you know, places where they, they can do that. This is all something that can undermine the government, right, um, right. undermine an author- authoritarian regime. It's a big deal. And now they're, and now they're de- if they deal with it by saying you, you can't do that anymore. You're taking out a lot of capital, a lot of money that I think 
investors have been Bitcoin and investors in other cryptos were kind of counting on. This is going to be, you know, in the next in the next year, the next two years, it's going to basically be a huge store of value similar to gold and things like that. But you know what? Gold doesn't go down 40 percent in one day. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know. Nothing that is that is viewed as a stable store of value drops that much unless people are flying planes into buildings or something like that. Is, uh, is even still, but yeah, yeah, I mean, I think they would still not go down like that. I mean, I, I we've talked about it in the past, right? I I've recommended uh, GLD, which is the gold ETF, and guess where the gold ETF has gone this week versus the Bitcoin higher. Yep. So what people are saying there is. Oh, yeah, this Bitcoin thing, I think it might be a little shaky. The gold is good. That's good. That's been around a long time. I'll buy the gold. I buy gold. I buy gold. <laughs> I think we almost got to, we're getting close to $19,000 an ounce, right? 1900 yeah. yeah. 1900 sorry. 1900 yeah. an ounce, yeah. Uh, we follow these guys a lot on these charts, the technical charts that I keep promising we're going to have a little tutorial on someday. But, like, they make all these, like, crazy statements that mean something. The one I heard the other day, which was great, it's a bull megaphone pattern in gold. Megaphone, that's good. That's big. That's good for the bullish gold people. He basically, this one guy said, um, like he hasn't seen a chart like this on gold in years. Like it's going. It's just going, going, going. Yeah. I own gold. I own an ETF. I, I think we were talking I, I own that GLDM, which is same thing, just a different sponsor. But I actually, and, and again, as, as people stop, you know, stop day trading and kind of look and say, like, let's say you made a lot of dough, you know, and you don't want to necessarily, you want to start treating this as a portfolio now that some of it's buy and hold. Some of it you want to buy as, as hedges, you know, if, if the world blows up. So I started buying last, last year, I was buying the GLDM really, you know, I, I just was, I, and it had a great ride. And then, you know, as everything came back and then all of a sudden everybody became euphoric again, gold, gold dropped like a rock. I bought more, more GLDM around when gold was about actually busted through 1700 bucks an ounce, bought some more GLDM. And the other thing I buy again to, which does usually does very well when the world blows up and when bad things happen, I buy a Japanese yen through a, an ETF called FXY. That yen generally does well when things when 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 shit hits the fan, um, <laughs> especially here in the U.S. It's based, it's probably the second biggest store of value after the dollar. All right, Eric, I hear you rooting for a Japanese takeover. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> we'll get into that in another another show. But that just so you know, if you look at if you look at history, generally yen does extremely well. There's ways you can play. You don't have to do yen versus dollars. You could. You. I. I basically. I bought a, a an ETF that went the inverse. So I basically. I. I created a position around basically long yen versus the euro, and that's another one that you can kind of play. So if the dollar is coming back strong, you don't really care because you're not trading dollars versus yen. You're, you're you're in yen and you're you're selling euros and buying yen. Things like that. Those trades do well, and they're they're a good kind of hedge if things go into the crapper. So we're looking into some more commodities, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Commodities and, you know, certainly commodities and, and, and currencies. And you could take advantage of the currencies in the, in the ETF market pretty well. Gotcha. Just to wrap up the crypto convo, is this a big kind of like reset? Is the market going to try to figure out what the value of it is now and uh, kind of reset the price? Where do we go from here? I mean, I think that 
it's bounced back already from Monday, right? I mean, not all the way to the top. It's still it's still off a lot, right? It, it's not dead, yeah. But I mean, think about where it was. You know, it's it went from like four thousand to sixty five thousand. Right. So it's that even even for those who are, who are hurting this week, watching it drop, there's a lot of people with that thing at four thousand, five thousand, and maybe it is a reset. I don't know. I just think that the overwhelming feeling is still not. This is a great thing to invest. You know, this days like that Monday scare people. Yeah, mm-hmm. right? right. They're like, "What the hell is this? Why did it go down so much? What's going on?" You know, you want to know how we came back on from from the abyss? Because I mean, there was a point there where it got down to thirty thousand, like thirty thousand right. and ten bucks, and it was ready to go. And this came out. I, this was from Bloomberg. Elicited a tweet from Elon Musk that implied Tesla was not among the sellers. While Kathy Wood said her monitors flashed a capitulation that put the digital token on sale, Justin Sun, a tech entrepreneur who founded the cryptocurrency platform Tron, tweeted that he bought $150 million in Bitcoin for around $37,000 a coin. So essentially, you had three people whose fortunes are tied in one way or another to Bitcoin come out in the middle of a shit show and say, everything's cool, I'm buying, like, you don't, you don't know if they're buying or not. Elon's like, I'm not selling. It wasn't us. Kathy Wood's saying, hey, you know, just saw a great tech on my, my technical chart, whatever the hell she uses. Bitcoin is, it, it, it's basically, it was a capitulation trade, meaning every, like, a lot of weak hands have sold and now it's time to get back in. And that sent us back up to the path of around 40,000. I saw she said it's going to 500,000. What you didn't hear is the Chinese come out and say, yeah, you know what? We're not going to, everything's cool. Everybody can, everybody, the, the billion and a half people in China can trade in cryptocurrencies, can buy crypto. And they didn't say that. So what you're left with is them versus a bunch of tweets. And look, I'm not being holier than now. This has happened forever. You know, every, you know, big market participants, you know, Bill Gross from PIMCO when he was at PIMCO, the bond king used to get on CNBC and just talk his position. Literally, you could watch him talking about what he was doing. And you can watch whatever he said he was buying and what he was selling go up and go down, go right in the direction that he wants it to go. So this has been happening forever. I'm not, I'm not, you know, but think about that. You know, if, if, if you jumped into Bitcoin at 35 or 36 and you think it's going back to 60, just think about why it's went from 30 to 40. You know, it went, it went by a bunch of people who you can't verify what they did and just, and they said they're, they're still confident. So they just bought and the currencies go right back up. The cryptos go right back up. So, you know, that to me, that sounds like it's a bit of a shaky foundation. So funny. This is this is a, a, a visual observation, so maybe not so great for the podcast, but it's hilarious to have you talking about crypto and shady business, Eric, when your picture looks like a silhouette. Right. <laughs> you look like you're in witness protection yes. right now. Right. The, I hope you have the voice scrambler on. It's yeah, I was going to say, the only thing that's missing is the, the voice scrambler. I don't know what's happening. Make, right. make you sound like uh, Mickey Mouse or something like that. <laughs> I have tremendous lighting behind me. You can see the It looks beautiful the behind the you. The magnolia trees yeah. back there. Yeah, typically but, um, you yeah. need some light, lighting in front of you. <laughs> We'll power through. I just, uh, you know, I just just had to point that out. But uh, all right. So who knows what's going to happen? We'll see. (laughs) Lots of market manipulation going on. Richie's picks. This week has not been great. Like yesterday is a very frustrating day for me because the market was up a lot right after three days of shit. And I was losing money because 
what was going up was more of the growth stocks that we talk about not necessarily liking, but we like the value stocks. And the value stocks actually got sold yesterday big time because interest rates came barreling lower. So that was good for the growth tech stocks, as we've talked about in the past, mm-hmm. and not so great. So it's a frustrating thing. So I went to the, I went to the local library early yesterday because I was pissed. You know, because it's like, damn, what, why, what's going on? Like the portfolio is down today. Look at the market. It's all green, blah, blah, blah. Not for me. Um, but I don't care. You know, I, I care if it keeps continuing like this, but I think it was just like maybe an anomaly and we're going to stay the course with the value stocks. Therefore, therefore, my pal Frank, who looks at a lot of these things, um, we talk about the charts a lot, he and I together. He sent me a little sheet today with like stuff, like it was kind of like a chart watching signal. Like this looks like a buy based on the charts. This looks like a sell based on the charts. Then I, you know, do my thing with them, with the stocks that he recommends, see what comes out. But um, I'm going to be buying right now Tupperware. Get the Tupperware nice, out of nice, my house. Get it out of my house. This is an ongoing war with my wife. We have two shelves in the kitchen full of go. Tupperware that we don't use. There we go. But you got to have it. You got to have it. <laughs> and um, that stock, even though it sounds like a very boring company, that stock, the 52-week range of that stock is like below 3 bucks. It was at like $2.93 during the, you know, and so this is 52 weeks. So last May. It was probably at after everything had already started climbing. This one was not coming, right? It was just kind of like a and uh, been below three bucks and as high as like almost thirty nine bucks. And today it's in around like twenty nine bucks. That's a fifty two week range. Yeah, three bucks to thirty nine for Tupperware. And they also what we like to look at is they make a shit ton of money. That company makes money like they print money, just like every house on your block. Aaron probably has two shelves of Tupperware that they don't use, but they have it. They have it. <laughs> so that's what I'm buying today. OK, so it's interesting you talk about, you know, because again, why, why growth stocks are really moving with rate with rate expectations. Not even um, so. One of the big things was on Wednesday. The Federal Reserve, uh, you remember we said they meet every six weeks. They call it the Federal Open Market Committee meetings, FOMC. And then a few weeks later, they will they release to the market the minutes of the meeting. So there's a, it's a two-day meeting, and you pretty much get the thoughts. Uh, uh, they don't say who said what, but you get the thoughts of all the voting members and the non-voting members because they rotate. You know, the, there's like three, I think it's a, the chairman, the president of the New York Fed, one of the presidents stay or maybe the the vice chairman so there's there's three or four that stay or they're always members voting members and the other bank presidents like Kaplan who was the the president of the Dallas Fed he was a voting member last year he's not a voting member this year type of thing but you get to hear all of their opinions in the meeting and what came out was that some of them talked about call it tapering and what tapering is is that Remember, we always we talk about the Federal Reserve buying every month. The Federal Reserve buys forty billion mortgage-backed securities, and they buy eighty billion treasuries. Everything kind of 
goes off of where we call the treasury, the risk-free rate. Notes that go from three months, they call them treasury bills, all the way out to 30 years, and they call those bonds, treasury bonds. And then all everything in the middle, threes, fives, sevens, tens, um, that is now a 20-year. When those things go down, that essentially brings all other rates down with it. Corporate bonds, uh, you know, mortgage bonds, municipal bonds. That's kind of the bedrock. So, and mortgage-backed securities are huge because based on if I lo- if I'm able if I buy a lot of mortgage-backed securities, think about forty billion a month. I buy those, then by definition, I'm, I buy them. That makes the price go up. That makes the yield go down. That's the inverse relationship. The mortgage market where you get your mortgage. That is very dependent upon, and I was always looking at where those mortgage-backed securities trade. It's a huge deal, right? And that's why the Fed did this in the last crisis, and they did it for years, many years. They just were starting to not buy again in like 2000, call it 15, 16. That's when they were tapering, meaning they, they, they start buying less and less bonds. That is why, to a large extent, why the United States came back stronger than every other every other major economy out there because we have such a big mortgage-backed securities market that when the Fed the Fed targeted those and said, we're going to start buying those, Freddie Mac, Fannie Mae, Ginnie Mae, they lowered mortgage rates. By lowering mortgage rates as much as they did, all of a sudden, everybody could refinance, right? Everybody, all of a sudden, there's 6.5% mortgage. I can go in and get a 4% mortgage now. That's That could put 300 bucks extra in my pocket every month. Right, it's about Tupperware products, Sarah. Tupperware, absolutely. <laughs> that's why. That's why you have three shelves instead of two. <laughs> I didn't realize this was a pump and dump stocker. <laughs> exactly. I'm, I'm talking my book. Here. So long, long, right. Long story short, because this is. But you really need to. When they talk about tapering, I bet a lot of people go, "What? What the hell is that?" Other than that it's bad. I don't know what it is. So right now, the Fed has said, Chairman Powell has said, "We're not even. We haven't even yet begun to think." about thinking about tapering, right? Stocks, instead of buying 40 billion of mortgage-backed securities a month, let's buy 35 or 30. That That's what tapering is. But the last time the Fed even remotely came out, which is kind of like where we are now, is 2013. And the Fed kind of hinted, yeah, at some point, we're probably thinking about, we're going to start thinking about thinking about tapering. The bond market just completely shit the bed. I mean, literally, 10-year treasuries went from, I don't know, two. 2% to like almost over 3% in a very short period of time. That's massive. And mortgage rates went up and the market complete dislocation based on just the Fed even thinking about, say, hey, we're thinking about thinking about this. So think about now. You got this market that is just freaking juiced up. Nothing can go wrong. It's 10 times more susceptible than it was in 2013. You get a taper tantrum now and this is what's going to, this is what's going to blast you. So just like we talk about crypto, like, yeah, this is a shaky foundation to some degree. A lot of these growth stocks, a lot of these stocks that don't make money, um, they're just viewed as, Hey, you know what? A year, two, five years from now, this company is going to be worth a lot because they do this and that. I'd rather own the Tupperware company than own a new FinTech company that in five years is going to do something that we don't even know. We don't, it hasn't been invented yet. That's another thing to really watch. You hear, you hear people starting to believe the Fed is going to taper. And if, God forbid, what happened in the minutes is that they, a few of the Fed, they don't tell you who it was, but a few of them are starting to talk about it. And that was enough to really, that really bashed stocks and, and growth stocks in particular as, as much as they have over the last couple of weeks. Right. Because remember, Aaron, they don't have to do these programs. 
The Fed can control, absolutely 100% control, the, the shorter term overnight rates, they call them, the federal funds rate. They, they pinpoint exactly where that rate is. And that's where it is. That's The Fed can do that. They can't do that with the longer term treasury bonds. There's no way. It's just like a market that moves. Mm-hmm. But what they can do is do these programs where they buy 40 billion of mortgages a month and 80 billion treasuries a month. And when people know they're doing that, they're like, oh, shit, rates are going to stay low. This is great. But the minute they pull that thing back, right, when they're like, oh, well, we might go from 40 to 30, like Eric said. Good Lord. Watch it. Like this thing will like come down like a house of cards. This relates to our inflation discussion from last time. If the inflation gets that, that inflation genie gets out of that bottle, really the only way to put it back into the bottle is to raise interest rates. So it's not like they can sit there forever if prices are going higher and inflation is sunk in. They can't sit there forever and be like, okay, we'll just keep buying. We'll just keep buying because then we'll turn into like a third world country. Right. Like, like it, this is how interest rates get to 20 percent and your debt is like overflowing and your your bust, basically. And if you think that with all these new programs that President Biden is pushing forth for uh, relief, right, six trillion here, four trillion there, two trillion there, everything's smooth right now because rates are low. The thing that they don't want to see is rates going higher because then it's over. And then it, yeah, you'll see stocks like crater crater if that really happens. So you got to walk a fine line. Yeah, and this is uh, this is what we tell people: you have to have this in your in your sights. You have to be putting this in as a potential thing that's going to happen. You know how, how much you want to wait that that's that's up to you. But you have to know that this is out there and it's and it's very real. And, and, like and most of these guys on the Reddit sites and the Wall Street bets, I think you know. Hopefully, you guys are listening here. But very few of these guys are thinking about that. They're just thinking like Tesla's going to sell a lot of cars. I got to keep buying Tesla. Yeah. And 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 one day, you know, when this happens, which it will, it always does. When this program stops and rates start going higher, everything's going to go down, and and a lot of people are going to be confused. They're going to be like, "What happened, dude? Like, I, I, they're selling more cars than they used to. What the hell? It's cheap. It's it, it, the stock's down twenty percent. I got to buy some more." And it's like. No, bro. That's not how it goes. Like it, it, it it's going to get worse if the rates are going to keep going up and it has nothing to do with your car sales. Yeah. Well, it's like, you know, it's like I always say the market can remain irrational longer than you can have money. The great saying. And I've always said that. I've always been saying that since we started this show. So since you were, since you were a week old, you said <laughs> that? Was, was the first yeah. words that you said it, it was among them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mom, dad, the market can stay irrational for longer than you have money. What did you just say, kid? That's <laughs> <laughs> what he's talking about. There's only one. So don't, don't touch my college money. Yeah. <laughs> the yeah. savings bond I got, put it away. For mm. sure. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think like people are planning on volatility, right? This, it's like I mentioned before, like some, sometimes creating it and planning around it. It was fun because now that school's out, the, the, the colleges, and I had some of my, my friends, uh, my, my, my son's friends came over at the house last week. And uh, yeah, they, these guys are big investors and they, they do a lot of crypto. They, they basically day trade all day. I was kind of teaching them this stuff. I was telling them this is, and this is the first time anybody was even really telling them this. Right. Uh, and so I, I just want, 
I, I always feel terrible when I hear the story. What one kid in particular, I think I told you, he was, he was up a hundred thousand dollars, a hundred grand on GameStop and all the, all the Reddit. And he lost it all back. All of it. And it was all based on mind calls. And then, you know, continuing to do that, continuing to re up, he lost everything. And his reaction was, you know, my, 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 I was, well, I was kind of, you know, it's a classic. I was playing with the house's money. Like, no, it was your money. You made that money. You could have gotten the hell out. You could have paid for college. You could, I mean, you could have bought a house. I mean, you could have done so many things. And instead, you know, you, you rolled the, you came back to the table, roll. And like I said, the casino always makes at the end of the day, they, they make you, you will keep coming back until they get, until they get theirs. It doesn't stop with you winning and walking away or very few people do that. So, yeah, I mean, if you, you have to have this type of stuff on your radar. And if you don't, you, it's going to be, you're going to be very disappointed in this whole experience. And the only positive that's going to happen is that it'll freaking ruin Robin Hood. That's the only <laughs> thing. It all comes back to Robin Hood. This is what show number 30. <laughs> I, we started with Robin Hood and we're still, we're still there. Um, and they, they, their, their IPO is, I think, coming out any day now, right? They're basically, the, the IPO is imminent now. So these, these guys, these guys need to get that thing out and get their billions before this whole thing goes to shit. Yeah. Keep an eye on that for sure. One of the, uh, other first things that I said when I was a kid was sell in May and go away. <laughs> um, yeah, no, a lot of good sayings. Yeah. yeah it's, good. it's incredible how much of a product, how much of a prodigy I was. And it's just starting <laughs> to click now. It's just all just starting to click now, but no, just, let's touch on that for a second. Cause that's something that I've been hearing lately. Is, I mm-hmm. guess that's a, a mantra that's been repeated for many years. Why is that? It's a, it's a bit, it's a bit wrong. It's yeah. A bit wrong. Okay. Um, it, if you look at the months of the year, they take an average of how every month has done over time. And I guess within May to October 31st, Halloween, there are the worst months within that mix. It, it, it's not, a, it, it, there's been a lot of crashes in October over time, but I don't think October is the worst month in the stock market. I think it's September actually, but whatever. So, the idea is all the profits in the stock market, or most of them, are made from November to April. So, you know, if you, but I just saw something in an article where, which was really interesting. If you did that, right? Because I thought about doing that over time, like take, take a little money and just put a fund that just buys the S&P on November 1st, sells it on April 30th, and on May 1st, I sell and go away, right? And then I come back on November 1st again. But if you did that over time, actually you don't make as much by just versus staying in the markets. So in other words, if you, if you only bought from November to April 30th and then put the rest in cash and bought like T bills, let's say, you know, anything, you know, put it in the bank. It's still not as much of a return as if you just kept it in, 12 years and let and buy and hold. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Is it also just as simple as, you know, summer people go on vacations? They're not, yeah. They're not, there's a lot of that. They're not paying there's attention to the market yeah. and the volumes probably down. Is it really? Yeah. We used to like it when we, when we heard like if, if like some big cats from other firms were going away on vacation and we knew the young kids were on the desk, 
we try to like pick them off and like bury them with like bad stuff. <laughs> oh, big, big Joe went to Europe. He's on that boat. Yeah, yeah. He, he's on a boat. What? Because these were you know pre cell phone days. I'm like, oh, he can't even be reached. Yeah, let's let's tackle them. What would you yeah. do to him? Yeah, yeah, the young kids like sitting there pissing themselves on the desk. Like, what do I do? What What would you do? So he helped them. He helped them out. <laughs> Let me help you out of those bonds. <laughs> those are very expensive. Would you like to sell them a little lower, sir? Well, Richie, you remember when it used to be? It used to be. Oh, August is always slow on the street. You know, nobody's there. Everybody goes on vacation. And I know when I started, it seemed like every August there was a, a complete shit show. Yeah. Um, and I do remember a lot of people being away in '98. Yeah, and that was just, and then they came back. Right? Everybody had to come back, yeah, and and now it, it, I don't know if that's the reason, but it seems like every crisis that we have in the last whatever thirty years seems to have a very bad August. <laughs> yeah, when Lehman Brothers went down, that was like September, or whatever. Yeah, right? just a funny side note, quick quick note. I was at Lehman Brothers went down on a Sunday. They went bankrupt on a Sunday. They, they announced that they were. Uh, not going to be able to make open the doors the next day on the Monday. I'm at the jet game. I'm at the game. And some guy says, holy shit, did you hear? B of A just bought Merrill. <laughs> and I turn around, I go, are you in the business? He's like, no. I said, no, no, no. That probably means that B of A bought Lehman, right? Because nobody heard that Merrill was in trouble. Right. It was Lehman that was in trouble. Right. And, I, and he goes, no, look, look right here. It says on my phone, B of A buys Merrill Lynch. And I'm like, oh, shit, this is bad. Because what that meant was Lehman was going down and Merrill knew they were next. Yep. And they had to find a new partner. And that partner was the guy with money, the Bank of America. Yep. So and I was like, oh, this is bad. This is really bad. And that was the, I think that was the night that they made, and they made Morgan Stanley and Goldman Banks. Remember? Yes. They, they gave him a banking charter. Because they, they were, they were after Merrill. Yeah. Crazy stuff. So it's probably not awful to sell in May and go away. Yeah. But it's not the be all and end all all the time. I gotcha. I gotcha. But so far this May, uh, that, that works, right? Yeah. I think this May may not turn out to be such a great month. It hasn't been so hot. No. Nah. Did you ever watch the movie Mothman? No, uh, I feel like I have, but it's been a while. I think my silhouette here looks like uh, <laughs> I look like the alien. <laughs> like I do this. You're getting lighter. Yeah, you're getting lighter. Yeah. <laughs> now you're dark. I get, I'm getting a little Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when you lean back, too. <laughs> you got the goggles? You got the goggles. <laughs> yeah, put them yeah. goggles on. And that's what we're looking at. <laughs> All right, boys, this is fun. Learned a lot. I feel smarter. Thank you for that. Thank you for educating us, all the listeners. Uh, again, any emails you want to send, monkeybizshow at gmail.com. And we're on Twitter at themonkeybiz101. So throw us a follow. And uh, to Richie and Eric, good luck with the college admissions and the moving. And we'll talk to everybody next week. <laughs>